Uh-oh, who's this guy? Good morning, saints. Oh, a little bit better than the first service. That's awesome. <laughs> Appreciate everybody. So for those who don't know me, my name is Anglin Baker, and I am the, one of the ushers here um, at Emmaus, and I'm also the director of the local youth center here uh, called The Foundry, and I'll uh, be your tour guide this morning. So, hey, thank you. I'll accept uh, donations later, but uh, my apologies in advance for the headband. Uh, it's for everybody here's uh, protection. Um, I sweat a lot, and it's hot out there, so I sweat, and uh, I certainly don't want to blind anybody with the shininess on my, on my head, and, uh, and I want to protect this pulpit from any drips of sweat. Um, it's my first day here on the job, and with Pastor Nate out, I'm trying to keep the report upon his return positive, so I appreciate all of your understanding with this matter. So now we got all that stuff out the way. Um, we have the ushers uh, pass out the Bibles, pens, and sermon notes if you did not receive uh, those on your way in. Um, so just uh, raise your hand, and we'll get one of those to you. Um, in addition, there are the information cards um, that we can provide for you as well. Uh, if you're new here with us um, and or have been here for a few Sundays or have updated your contact information, we would love for you to fill one out. Uh, we promise not to spam you or send you any snail mail that's unnecessary. Uh, but we certainly like to collect some information from you um, in order to connect with you. Um, in addition, there's a section on that card for prayer requests. Um, on Mondays, our staff uh, prays over each uh, request. In addition, we have some prayer warriors here in our congregation as well, so it's vital. Uh, prayer is vital in our, in our walk, amen? amen. Uh, so we want to make sure that we take uh, action on the request that we receive. So without further ado, um, I have the pleasure of in introducing our bringer to the word uh, today, He's in his third part of uh, his series called Dear Us. So please help me in welcoming our friend, Jeremiah Aha. Thanks, man. Anglin, you're crushing it. You're doing great. You're doing really well. Let's give him a hand. That's good. Take a vacation, man. It's good. You're doing a real good job. Well, I'll tell Pastor Nate you need a raise. I'll go from there. Good morning, friends. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, I'm really, really glad to be here with you. We have this week and then one more week. Get to worship with the saints of Emmaus, and I'm excited, aren't you? Yeah. This past Wednesday, I celebrated my oldest daughter's 10th birthday. Her name is Bella. She was here this last week. Our family was. I have a picture of our celebration. This is, I, I know, right? right? Um, that's her over there on the far right, the one that looks nothing like me. <laughs> and um, she turned 10 years old. Lucy's there at the bottom. And uh, we went to watch a really great movie I recommended to you, Incredibles 2. Okay. Um, <laughs> although the opinions and perspectives expressed up here by me on cinematic uh, content is not, a, you know, what Emmaus says, just saying, hey, it might be good, it might not, your choice. We enjoyed it, though. We enjoyed it. So we went and saw Incredibles 2. We surprised her with that. And then we went to the one place the one place where she'll actually have her favorite macaroni and cheese, and that is at Jack's. Jack's Urban Eats, if you've been. There's one in Roseville. I got an amen in the crowd. Um, there's a few locations where we live in Sacramento. So we went to Jack's. This is a picture outside of Jack's. And then we went home, and we had birthday cake, and we had presents, and there was candles, and there was fire, and we put out the fire on the candles. And um, it was a great time. We actually have a, a silly picture, too, that we all took, the silly one. That's good. So notice 
Lucy's still learning the peace sign in pictures. <laughs> you can see. And it's, you know, it's going okay so far. Um, she just knows, like, put fingers up, right? And I'm like, just put the right ones up. Like, don't, don't stick the ones up that we shouldn't. And make sure if you're going to do one, it's the right one. Okay? And that's my go-to um, silly picture face. Just act like something terrifying is happening away from the camera. Works every time. There we are. I love my family. Hope you had a chance to meet them last week. But there we were, like I said, there, and then cake and presents and fire, and it was awesome. And how ridiculous would it be after we got all done with that if Bella looked at her mother and I and said, how much do I owe you? That would be a big aw. She did. We got done with all that, all these presents, all these gifts, this whole half day. Birthdays are a really big deal for the ahas, okay? How much, like, just ridiculous nature would it be if we got to the very end and she said, so what's the damage, guys? How much do I owe you? What, what is this going to cost? How much do I need to pay you back? And for a father to give all these gifts to his beloved daughter, how wrong would it be if the child looked back at the father and said, how much do I owe you? I got to pay you back. What's, what's the damage here? See, a lot of things in life are earned. They're very much earned. The temperature really changed in the room. Do you feel that? We're like, having fun, we're good. And I was like, oh, we're preaching now. Like, you feel that? Yeah, but you, you see where we're headed, right? So everything, almost everything in our life is earned. Your paycheck, earned. If you don't show up, then you aren't going to get paid, right? Um, the promotion is earned. The corner office is earned. Your lower interest rate was earned. Your diploma was earned. Your parking spot was earned. You know, you had to get there before the next person. A lot of things we've had to do throughout our lives, even from a very young age, have been earned. We had to do things in order to acquire them. Maybe even when you were growing up in your home, you had to do things in order to gain affection, to gain attention. You had to do things. Maybe sometimes it was good things, but as I have a chance, as a therapist throughout the week, I get a chance still to work with youth. And I'll tell you, both the research shows this and the people in front of me, if, if kids can't find a positive connection with an adult, they'll settle for a negative one. They would rather have a negative connection or a negative attention than not have any connection at all, because our, our deepest core need is for us to be connected to others. So maybe for some, when you were younger, you had to do things in order to earn some kind of attention or affection. Almost everything that we've had to experience in our lives has been earned, almost everything except for God's grace. Except for God's grace. It does not work like almost everything around us works. It's reversed, it's switched. Some scholars call it the great reversal except for God's grace. And that is one of the few, few of the lines in the letter we're going to take a look at today. As Anglin said, we're walking through Ephesians, the letter from Paul to a group of people in Ephesus. It's called Dear Us because this letter is now coming into our lives. And what Paul writes in this as it relates to God's grace, God's grace he says this, By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. 
Maybe I'm not the only one in the room, but if there are definitely, if there are things that I could do in order to earn, I'm going to let others know because I'm pretty proud. So Paul writes, this is not of your doing. This is not because of the good things you've done that you've earned God's grace, because if it was, you're probably just going to go around being braggadocious about it. This gift from God has no strings attached. You have that friend or that family member, and they give you something, and you're like, oh, no, this is, they're going to hold this over my head. Yeah? In fact, I know a guaranteed way to get one of you to buy me lunch. You want to hear it? I buy you lunch first. It's kind of laughter, like, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah? I buy you lunch first, because then the next time I go out, it's like, well, you got the last time. Now I'm going to... You got to even the score because oftentimes, even with relationships, our economy is we need to make sure things are evened out. We don't want to feel like we're indebted to somebody to do enough things in order for things to be okay, to gain affection, to gain attention. But God's gifts have no strings attached. There's zero expectations. There's zero expectations in holy love. Zero expectations. He went to the cross even knowing that some of us in this room would say, like, you know what, I'm done with this, or never even believing, ever. This is love, giving all of myself, even if the other doesn't return the favor. This is actually quite different than what it was for me growing up. See, growing up, I thought from my kindergarten teacher I had to earn God's affection or even his attention, and it kind of worked like this. My kindergarten teacher, her name was Miss McCutcheon. And she's exactly what you're picturing right now. Just, you just, I mean, you know, the year was 1985, and she had glasses that fit that time period. Huge glasses. She wore long denim skirts down to her ankles. She had brown, frizzy hair. She seemed like just a huge grown-up. She was probably like 24 years old or something, which is now like as a kid. And um, she was there, and one time, actually, I caught her picking her nose at nap time. Um, <laughs> that's another sermon. Um, so... <laughs> Anyway, anyway, she had this special thing that she did in order to mold young minds. This is what she did. I remember it very, very distinctly. We walked into the kindergarten classroom, and at, at that age, I knew what my name, uh, what it looked like when it was spelled out. It's a pretty long, it's eight letters, right? And so, you know, I had to learn, but that's really all I knew how to spell. And so I saw my name up there. You know, I've always had the last name, Aha. So it's usually first alphabetically. So there's a heart, and then there's a name right under a big, bright, you know, classic red heart and my name underneath it. And next to that was like Billy and Susie and Johnny and Jill and every other classic kindergarten name. Well, it's the 80s. So Ashley and uh, Michelle, and that's about all I can think about right now. But um, so they're all, the whole kindergarten class, right? All the hearts are there and the names underneath it. And Miss McCutcheon said, when you sin, when you break a rule, your heart turns black. Yeah. And so she would take, she would take like these small black circles that were a little smaller than a dime. And when you broke a rule, like when you didn't pay attention or you didn't sit down during story time or you were, you um, maybe ate too much glue, you know, something like that. Because enough, you know, there's a certain quality control in kindergarten where it's like, well, you can eat some. <laughs> they got to they gotta find out a little bit. But if it's too much, it's like, come on, in this economy, we can't be spending that much money on glue. Okay? We're straying off the point, friends. Okay, let's get back, back on here. Okay, so she would take a little black circle and she would thumbtack it to your heart because when you sin, your heart turns black and God doesn't like that. 
And from day one, the fear of the Lord was put into me to where I only had like one or two black circles on my heart. Little Johnny, on the other hand, I don't know how he was still walking around. <laughs> Quadruple bypass, quintuple bypass. What I, I mean, it was just basically one red circle on little Johnny's hat. Everything else was black. And I remember that because open house came up. And on the day of open house, when all the parents, all the guardians of the kindergartners would come into the room and they would see all of our pieces of paper with glue, some eaten, some not, colors, projects, macaroni, you know the deal, all there, but our hearts stayed there on the wall for all the parents to see, to see how everybody was doing. I'll let you take a guess. There was only one or two black spots on my heart. What did I see every time I looked at my mostly red heart? Black spots. Ever got something brand new and someone puts a ding in it? And the only thing you see is just that little ding on the car door or whatever. Parents, your child brings home seven A's and one B. What do you talk about? The B. Just that one thing. Now, just in case we're confused, Miss McCutcheon's theology is not of Scripture. Your heart does not turn black for those reasons anyway, for sinning. But very early on, it was put into my head that somebody's keeping score and I'm always losing. Someone up there is disappointed and I can't do enough good things in order to make God not angry with me, let alone happy with me. And a very, very real, I'm 38 years old now and still plenty of time to get caught up in this trap of doing more in order that I might pay God back. And maybe I'm not the only one in the room. That this relationship goes by, if I can do enough good things and avoid enough bad things, then maybe I'll be accepted. Then maybe he'll be happy with me. Then maybe he won't be angry with me. So from a very young age, we learn maybe some things that are contrary to what Scripture has for us. See, God has freely given us freely done for us what he did in Christ. That's bringing life from the grave. He has given us that gift, his choice. His, he wanted to do that for us, not because of stuff that we did. Oftentimes we think that we need to get cleaned up in order to come to church or get a few things right, learn a few things before we can come in and kind of get our God thing going. Hear the good news this morning that you don't need to get cleaned up to go back to God. You don't need to get, kind of get your life in order so he doesn't see you and go like, oh, this is going to be a lot of work. He doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus tells a story, maybe you're familiar, in Luke 15. We often refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son. I like to call it the, the story of the unbelievable father. The story's about the father. In any event, maybe you're familiar, he has two sons. The younger son says, I'm going to give everything, or, uh, you know, I'm going to... I wish you were dead. I want all of my inheritance to come to me. I want it now. He goes, wastes all of his money in sinful living. In Luke 15, 17, he says, when he came to his senses, he knew he could go back home where the father was at. See, he's living with pigs. He's eating pig's food, which at the time, what this meant, um, Jesus is telling this story in the first century in the Mideast. So sometimes some of these um, cultures and some of these societal things that happen in Scripture, they get kind of lost on us because we're 21st century Northern California, right? 
So sometimes some things right now, it doesn't quite connect, but just know or maybe be reminded that being with pigs, eating with pigs was the most foul, most disgusting thing someone can do if, and from the mind of a Jewish person. This was, this was just, there's no way this can, this was unclean. You couldn't be near this person. So there the son is. When he comes to his senses, he says, maybe I can still go back home and just be hired as a slave. He comes home. He goes back. He doesn't get cleaned up. He doesn't even change clothes. In fact, the father runs towards him, embraces him, throws his arms around him. He's covered in pig slop. Didn't have to get cleaned up to go back home. His grace is that extravagant and that radical, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it this morning. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 2, you can follow along with me on the screens or in a Bible in front of you. So chapter and verses didn't come until about hundreds and hundreds of years after this letter was written. Remember, this was a letter that was written. So Paul didn't get to a point and go like, and now I'll begin chapter 2, indent verse 1. That in, those things kind of came afterwards so that we can, we can help each other find things. So though we're going to begin chapter 2 and verse 1, that wasn't like it when it was written in originally in Greek, okay? So chapter 2 and verse 1, this part of the letter goes like this. As for you, and remember when Paul's writing, this really is as for y'all, that's what he's saying, as for you guys, as for you people, it's always you plural, right? Saints is always plural, you is always plural. As for you guys, as for us, we were dead in our transgressions. Transgressions is that big Bible word that means I know I'm doing something wrong and I'm going to do it anyway and then I'm going to ask for forgiveness and then I'm going to do it again and again and again. Transgressions. As for us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which, I used to, in which we used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom and of the air a spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it, Again, he says it again. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves. It is the gift of of God, the no-strings-attached gift from God, not by work so that no one can boast. Bless you. For we are God's handiwork. This Greek word is poema, so we get the word poem. Sometimes it's translated a masterpiece or his beautiful work of art. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's start right there at the very end. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Remember how we talked about the hearts and the, and the black spots and everything? A lot of times we think, maybe I can do, maybe it's just me though. 
Maybe I can do enough good things, and that'll clean up my heart, and that'll get things good. Good works are not a means of salvation. That's not a way to gain salvation. Doing good works, even in Christ Jesus, these are the evidence of salvation. There aren't enough good things, friends, for us to be able to do in order to pay back God what he's done for us. There just isn't enough. It's an eternal exhausting treadmill if you're on it. And this morning's invitation is for you to step aside and surrender and just know that we, he's pursuing us. We said it last week. So good works aren't a means to salvation. We don't do enough good things like, like in a video game, like you level up, like you do enough good things and now, now, oh, now you've arrived. It doesn't work like that. Good works are actually a means of salvation. This is the evidence of what this kind of life looks like. See, chapter one, we talked about um, last couple of weeks, chapter one of Ephesians is who we are, our identity, who we are because of Jesus, who we are with Jesus. Chapter two, chapter two is who we were, particularly verses one through like three and a half, who we were. So it's a contrast, right? One is who we are, what our identity is, and two is this is who we used to be, this is who we were. So it's a contrast back and forth. I heard that when jewelers are showing people like diamond rings, they take out the ring and they put it against like a black felt or a purple felt or something. Anybody familiar? Anyone just regularly go diamond shopping? Neither do I. I was just had to read this like, oh, is that how they do it? So they take the diamond and they put it against kind of this black surface so you can see like, oh, that really sparkles. Oh, that's how it is. The ring ha- they're, they're fooling us, guys. The, the ring hasn't changed, right? It's just the background, it's the contrast that makes that pop a little bit more. What we have going is, picture the diamond is like Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2 is the backdrop that puts up like, oh, this is what maybe, this is what I've been rescued from. This is what I've been saved from. Paul writes, we were dead. We were absolutely dead. And some of us, maybe we, we forget that. Some of us have forgotten our story. We've forgotten what it was like. We've forgotten that we've been rescued. We've forgotten that we've been saved. The very nature of needing a Savior is that you're in trouble, that you need to be rescued. But oftentimes, Jesus gets relegated as like, choose Jesus and life can be better. Like a toothbrush or something, you know? Something from Ronco, one of those things. Set it and forget it situation. Only 10% of the people in here are old enough to catch that reference. That's fine. It gets relegated into like, if you choose Jesus, then things can become better for you. But here's the thing. Jesus is not a means to an end. And he especially isn't a means to the end of your personal happiness in life. That's not the way this works. That cheapens his love and that cheapens his grace. Grace being the thing that we get that we didn't deserve. So when Jesus gets put into this box of Things will get better with him. It's kind of like the God is my co-pilot bumper sticker. If anyone in here has one of those, I'm sorry for what's about to happen. (laughs) I love you and God loves you, but let's just examine this real quick. Number one, if God's your co-pilot, that means you're still driving. You might be in the wrong seat. We'll we'll start, we're going to start really nicely. We'll start that there. Then number two, and I understand it's from a good heart. It's like, hey, it's me and him. We're going together. I get that. I get that. But set that aside. Let's deconstruct a little bit, okay? In love, okay? But let's say God's the driver, and we're over in the passenger seat. 
you know we're still going to be like, you're missing the turn. Oh, slow down, slow down. Oh, you know he's going to turn left here soon. This is the exit. You know, maybe you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you don't, it's probably you that's doing that. It's probably you. Okay, so it's like, well, let's put, it, let's put us in the back seat. We're still going to be the back seat driver too, right? What, what this kind of looks like, you were dead and now you're alive, what that kind of looks like, taking that God is my co-pilot analogy, is this. Taking the keys out of the ignition. Opening the door. Handing the keys to Jesus. Telling him, hey, can you pop the trunk? Getting into the trunk, closing the trunk, and whispering through the keyhole, Jesus, you take this wherever you want to go. You take this wherever you want to go. My life, it is yours, because without you, I am absolutely nothing. So you drive. You go where you want to go, you go the speed you want to go, you go the, 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 the route you want to take, you take as many U-turns as you want. I'm going to be back here, and you're going to steer this thing. Sorry if I really painted Jesus as like a mobster or something, and you're in the trunk. But this is, this is the kind of surrender, this is the kind of you were dead, we were dead. And because of God's kindness in the life, death, and life of Jesus, we've been made alive made a lie because of his grace, and we were not able and will not be able to earn that. And some of us maybe have forgotten that. There's something just so gospel-centered about the first step of recovery for those of us that have been or have the gift of recovery. Step one is my life is unmanageable. I've tried this on my own, and I can't do it. This is, in essence, I, w- I was dead. I am, I'm nothing but a corpse without... Jesus. Life is unmanageable. I tried to do it and left to my own devices. I'm, I'm a, just a, a dumpster fire of a person. And that's even for me. When I'm not trying to edit my personality or try and shape my perception because that happens, here's just a quick tip. The easiest place to hide in the church is right here. So left to my own devices... It is. It's bad. And realizing who I am without him, realizing that I am a sinner, and it's only because of God's work that he's made me alive, and now he calls me a saint. This is the move. Remembering where we came from. Not staying over here, but realizing this is what he saved us from. There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke 18 about two people coming into the temple to pray. A Pharisee and a tax collector walk into a bar, no, a temple to go and pray. Sounds like a joke, right? Pharisee, it literally says, a Pharisee and a tax collector walk into the temple, walk up to, and they're going to go pray. So again, for those of us 21st century Northern California, 1st century region of Galilee, what Jesus is actually painting is an insider and an outsider. Pharisee was kind of a religious elite, prestigious, someone who had um, you know, people that, that followed them, that respected them, a well, well-respected member of society, and then a tax collector, not so respected. Rome would send out people to collect taxes from the citizens in order to keep government going. Just like we have now, you pay sales tax, we get libraries. It's a pretty good deal. And firemen and, and, fire, firemen and women and policemen and women. Right? Same kind of deal. But what tax would do is they would say, hey, you owe this much. Actually, I mean this much. And they would pad their pockets a little bit. 
So they were known as crooked and corrupt, and no one really, they didn't get a lot of dinner invites. They were outsiders. So Jesus says, an outsider and an insider comes into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee comes up and says, God, I thank you I'm not like this guy, this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I only need to do it once, but I do it twice. And I, I give um, one-tenth of all of my income. That goes to you. I'm so thankful that I'm just so nice and prim and proper, but not like that guy. Almost this, God, you should be so lucky that I'm, I believe in you kind of heart. And the tax collector, Jesus says, he can't even like really approach the altar to pray. He can't even look up to the heavens. He beats his breast. He says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. This is a picture of a person who knows he's in need of a rescue, who knows that without Jesus, he's as good as a corpse, that he's dead. He hasn't forgotten what the work that Christ has done in his life. He couldn't even approach it knowing what he's been through, the choices he's made, how he's treated others. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is someone who remembers what it was like to be rescued. So the question for us as we wind down this morning what have you been rescued from? What did Christ rescue you from? For some, maybe it's like, oh, I, I can tell you right now because it's happened like in 2018. It's happened this year. I've just begun this relationship with him and kind of found this community, and that's easy for me to tell you. For some of us, longtime followers of Jesus, it might be difficult to remember and Jesus has been more of, my life will be better with him. It'll be a little bit more comfortable with him. The kind of rescue I'm talking about is not like, hey, I got a flat tire and Jesus, you know, pulled over and got everything together and got the, I don't do that much car stuff. I'll do all the things, you know, I really, I'm good with this. I'm not good with like, these hands are really soft. I'll just say that. Um, so the kind of rescue I'm talking about is not like, I got a flat tire, Jesus pulled over and held me out. That's not the kind of rescue I'm talking about. This is the kind of rescue I'm talking about. Um, we're all going to go on a cruise in about an hour. You in? Yeah. Okay, okay where are we going to go? Oh, yes, Alaska. There we go. We're going to go to Alaska, okay? All of us. So that means we're going to be up the Pacific Ocean, right? It's over here on the left. Okay, so we're all going to get in there. It'd be a long way if we went the Atlantic, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would. I don't know if I can be with you guys that long. Okay, so joke, joke, joke. Okay, so uh, Pacific Ocean. We're all on a cruise ship, and at some point in this cruise, it's going to be around midnight, right? It's going to take a little bit of time to get there. This is the kind of rescue I'm talking about. Storm comes, the perfect storm, like the movie. That one comes and, into our cruise ship. Waves are crashing back and forth. It's dangerous. People are panicking. And just picture you yourself having to jump overboard or being flung overboard. Just picture it. You happen to be, just by chance, wearing a life jacket, though. There, so there is good news, okay? So you're wearing a life jacket, and somehow, someway, for the next hour, you are surviving there in the waves because you're a strong swimmer, and you're there, but you're getting really tired, and you see the boat further and further off in the distance until you can't see it anymore. And I, I hear you see just the top of it because the earth's round. 
spoiler alert, and it kind of goes, and that's all you can see. So picture it's just you in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's midnight, you and the stars and the waves. It's still storming, and you're getting tired, and there is no way, no how, that you were going to make it through the next half hour, and that is it. There's no one around. It's completely black. You don't know what's up and what's down. Water is coming in and out of your lungs. That's the kind of rescue I mean. That's the kind of rescue that Christ has done for us. To where there was no way we could do it on our own, even if we tried. This is the kind of rescue that puts us in right perspective on who God is and who we are. We were as good as dead. But because of the kindness of God through Christ, we've been rescued. It's a very similar word to resurrection. What have you been rescued from? Maybe think on it this morning, think on it this week as we approach the family meal this morning. Take a moment to consider, God, you have rescued me from this. And it isn't a one-time thing because maybe we go through this every day. Being born again and again and again and again is the invitation. Maybe it's happened over several seasons of life. Maybe you feel like, feel like at least a few times a year I'm in this place and Jesus comes and offers this rescue to me. Think on those times and that can give us a, a, a better understanding of what his grace is like. Let's pray. Father, we belong to you. And we confess that we all need and we still need a resurrection. We depend on you to, to be taken from death to life. Father, for the sons and daughters in this room right now that have been trying so hard to impress you, would you lift up their chin, look them in their eyes, and tell them, my son, my daughter, you don't need to do anything remarkable to be worthy of my love. For those that are on that treadmill, God, for those that are white-knuckling their way through this journey, would you grab hold of their hands, put them in a posture of surrender to say, That your love for them isn't dependent on their effort. That it's by grace that we've been rescued. Through faith, this is your work. And may this be the posture that we go about doing these good works and following you and being faithful to you. But first and foremost, let us understand who we are and who you are in this relationship. May we hand over the keys and give them to you. And our prayer this morning, God, is for you to take, take this car wherever you want it to go. Because we trust you. Thank you for your rescue.
In Jesus' name, amen.